Hello, family. I thought we'd start uh, today with a quick church history quiz. So um, put on your thinking caps. Uh, one of the most prominent intellectual and theological centers of the church for the first four centuries was A, Rome, B, Jerusalem, C, Constantinople, D, North Africa. The answer is North Africa. The language Christians use today to describe the Trinity, Christ's two natures, the sacraments, and many other important doctrines come to us from North African theologians. And uh, many, if not most, of the greatest theologians in the first four centuries uh, came from North Africa. Uh, here's some examples. Tertullian, Perpetua, Clement, Origen, Cyprian, Athanasius, and, of course, Augustine. Africa played a decisive role in the formation of Christian culture from the beginning, and the theologians in Africa were exploring uh, our most important beliefs long before the gospel um, created similar discussion in Europe. So Jesus told the church to uh, share the gospel with the whole world. How did it find its way to Africa? Uh, was there a council in Jerusalem where they developed church planning strategy, um, uh, or, or did it happen on one of Paul's missionary journeys? No, no to both. The story of how the gospel went to Africa begins when an angel of the Lord, and remember the Greek word is messenger, so literally we could say a messenger of the Lord. It doesn't have to be a, a big guy with blonde hair and wings. A Greek-speaking Jewish layman, Philip was, who had been uprooted from his home in Jerusalem because of the persecution. And you remember from last week that he had found himself about 20 miles to the north in a place of the map he'd never thought he'd be in, Samaria, sharing the gospel with great power. Uh, I, I suspect he thought he'd be there forever. You remember that uh, a major religious figure, Simon, had come to, to the Lord. People were coming to faith by the droves. There were miracles. A church planning network was soon to follow. It looked like a life's worth of work was uh, laid out for him in Samaria. But as soon as that happens, an angel comes to him and says, Rise, go toward the south to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. Now, I don't know if you've ever had this experience. Maybe you're having it now. But strategically, this made no sense whatsoever. Um, again, the ministry was exploding where he was. And the angel of the Lord pulls him out of that hotbed of activity and sends him literally in the middle of, the no of nowhere. Uh, summer of 2002, I took a course in biblical geography, and I spent about a month in Jerusalem. And uh, about a week, we uh, all got in a van and went south. And once you get down near Gaza, you're on a road that's leading you to North Africa and to Egypt. You are in the middle of barren desert. There is nothing there. And so uh, when the angel told Philip to go there, it was like telling him to just go sit in the highway in the middle of Nevada. It's like, why? What's, what's the point? I'm supposed to be reaching people, aren't we? I'm very confusing, I'm, I'm sure, for him. Well, it just struck me this way that God's ways are like that. Planning is very important. But God's plans are not always linear, and they may not always make sense to us. We, we don't always see the broader picture Philip wouldn't have known when he was walking to the middle of nowhere that 
he was actually going to meet the person who'll become the first believer in Africa and open up the whole continent to the gospel. He had no idea that was going to happen. And I, I wonder if, if uh, some of us feel like Philip, like maybe you were somewhere and was thriving and he's taking you out and he's putting you somewhere else. Or um, maybe God seems to be saying, go this way, but it doesn't make sense to you and you don't see how it all fits. Maybe maybe you just feel kind of disoriented and you you don't have a lot of vision. Philip didn't have a great vision at this point. I think the story just comforts us. It just says this is kind of how God works. Um, we don't always know uh, where we're going or what's going to happen, but we walk by faith and respond to the messenger. And there was an Ethiopian, a eunuch, a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopi Ethiopians, who was in charge of all her treasure. So this man is uh, quite uh, prominent, like the Secretary of the Treasury. He's in the cabinet of the Queen of uh, Ethiopia. Uh, he was a castrated male, which was common um, for men who worked with um, female uh, leaders in the period. And he has come to Jerusalem um, to worship. And he's returning seated on his chariot, and he's reading the prophet Isaiah. Now, Jews had scattered to North Africa in the diaspora hundreds of years earlier. And so he had probably heard of the God of Israel through uh, Ethiopian Jews. And uh, he has come to Jerusalem to offer a sacrifice. And this would have been at least a month in his chariot. Uh, it would have been very expensive. Uh, it probably wouldn't have been traveling alone. He has a scroll, which uh, took a year for a scribe to copy. There were hardly any of them. Very, very expensive. And when he gets to the temple, uh, most likely he did not get in because Deuteronomy 23, uh, verses 1 to 3, forbids eunuchs from worshiping in the temple. It doesn't really give a reason. There, there was this idea uh, in the ancient law uh, of the Old Covenant that um, external physical uh, purity somehow was related to internal spiritual purity and so things like that uh, that marred the body were, were kept out of the temple. We're not really given many reasons here for that law, but it was in, in the Old Testament. And so when he got to the temple to offer his sacrifice, uh, the priests would not have let him in. And so uh, he's, he's coming home, uh, most likely cut off from the God that he sought. And he's, he's reading, we'll see in a minute, from Acts 53. But had he read Acts 56, he would have seen a day prophesied where eunuchs were welcome into the house of God. Uh, Isaiah 56, 4. For thus says the Lord, to the eunuchs who keep my Sabbaths, who chose the things that please me and hold fast my covenant, I will give them a name in my house. They shall not be cut off. So just a few verses after the passage that he's reading is a messianic prophecy of a day when all those barriers uh, will be torn down and uh, anyone will be welcome into the family of God. Now again, I don't want to conjecture too much here, but it, it would not be surprising, would it, that if the, the rules of organized religion here had wounded him. Can you imagine... 
coming all the way and not being able to worship. Well, uh, the man continues to see God. He He's reading Isaiah. It would have been reading it aloud. That's how you read scripture in that day. Um, standing up probably on a very bumpy road. Um, and I don't know. There's just something about that picture that, that I love. This is a... This is a man who's just seeking God, and he is not letting um, the, the pitfalls of organized religion uh, get in his way. He's, he's going to continue to pursue the God that has revealed himself to him. And, you know, I think of, uh, of many, and perhaps all of us, if you're around long enough, you, you're hurt by organized institutional religion. It, it happens, and some of the rules and things like that, and some of the things that happen. But this Ethiopian eunuch, I think, can be the patron saint for everyone who is offended by the, the, the shadow sides of institutional religion, because he keeps seeking God, and God meets him. Uh, ironically, not in the temple, but in the middle of nowhere. And the Spirit said to Philip, Go over and join this chariot. So Philip ran to him and heard him reading Isaiah the prophet and asked, Do you understand what you're reading? And he said, How can I unless someone guides me? Well, given his status, again, the man would have been traveling with an entourage. It probably included soldiers. Um, these kind of roads were very dangerous, um, susceptible to bandits. And uh, I can't imagine that the the soldiers going with this prominent man were thrilled to see some guy in a toga emerge out of the desert and start running towards the chariot. But let's <laughs> let's step back for a minute and think about what is actually happening here. Uh, a black African is about to become the first foreigner to believe, even before Paul believes. The gospel is about to break into Africa. The church in Ethiopia, which even today traces her birth to this moment, is about to be conceived. And of course, no, the, none of the characters in the story know this, but it somehow Philip knew this was what he was supposed to do. The angel had told him this, and a, the spirit had told him this. And so he goes. He moves towards this. Again, it would have been a moving chariot. Takes a lot of guts. Uh, took a lot of guts for the political official to welcome him up and not take a sword to him. I, I've been praying about this this week. It just really struck me. And I've been praying that God would lead me and you to just find the people that um, God is preparing to hear the gospel. This man clearly has been prepared to hear the gospel. I wonder who the uh, these people are uh, in our lives. John six forty four says, "No one, no one." Jesus says, "No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him." Um, there are times when, when the Lord draws uh, people to Himself, and I, I'm just praying that God would show us um, who those people are. Um, now, there's another lesson here I don't think we should miss. The gospel is crossing cultural and ethnic lines. Um, it, this takes courage and the guidance of the Spirit. Um, and a lot of us, I think, are asking, what do I do about racial reconciliation? And our story suggests two things. <laughs> One is ask the Spirit to show you a person of another race who you might uh, build a relationship with. And two, take the risk and ask if you can ride for a while in their chariot. See what happens. 
Well, the eunuch is reading from Isaiah 53. Uh, he's reading a passage about uh, this suffering servant, um, a sheep led to the slaughter. He's silent um, before the lamb. He bears injustice. A lot of the things that we would today understand as substitutionary atonement. But the eunuch does not fully understand. And he says, about whom, I ask you, does the prophet say this, about himself or someone else? Then Philip opened his mouth, and beginning with Jesus, he told him the good news. about. Beginning with Scripture, he told him the good news about Jesus. Well, let's suppose that you, you begin to pray, and God, God leads you to someone um, who's very interested about spiritual things. He's like this uh, Ethiopian eunuch. Maybe he, she's been hurt by institutional religion, but they're deeply spiritual and they want to know more. What might you do? You could read scripture with them. That may actually be one of the very best things to do. And you might, you might invite them to read the Gospel of John with you. Um, not so that you can fill in the blank and tell them all the right answers, but uh, what's that passage in uh, John 1 where, um, a couple of the disciples come and, and, and they ask him questions, and Jesus says, "Come and see." Uh, maybe we could have, maybe you could have a come and see Bible study. Just let's get to know this 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 wonderful man. Uh, or you can invite him into a group where you're already studying the Bible. It's important to realize um, this man in the chariot most likely had been studying Torah his whole life. You don't you don't have a scroll. Um, of Isaiah if you're not a deeply serious student of Scripture. So uh, Philip is coming in at the end of probably years sitting around the synagogue with rabbis and uh, studying the, the Torah. And, and many times, I think, especially as America becomes more um, post-Christian, more secular, uh, uh, the process of evangelism will take much longer because you can't assume that people understand the whole biblical narrative. And so it involves the study of Scripture. Well, the man is ready to respond to the gospel, and he sees some water, and he says, what prevents me from being baptized? Um, he, he just somehow, as, as uh, Philip goes through the Scripture with him, he knows that baptism is the natural response to faith. It's an outward picture of the Spirit's inner work. Now, a little bit of an advertisement here. Um, we normally do baptisms at our birthday party. Please read the newsletter about some of the events that we have coming up to, to gather together outside this fall. And we are going to have a socially distanced birthday party. But due to COVID, we are not able to um, do baptisms at the Y. But if you have become a believer, and I'm, I'm hearing stories about the Spirit moving in powerful ways uh, these days, and you want to be baptized, email me, call me, um, Doug at allsoulsknoxville.com, and uh, we'll, we'll figure out a way to baptize you. Um, in Scripture, it comes quickly after conversion, if, if possible. Well, this is just such a powerful picture of how God works through his people to take the gospel into new places. And it's very much related to prayer. Um, if you've been following along in our study, back in Acts 1, back in Acts 4, there are these powerful prayer meetings where 
Everyone is crying out to God to open doors for the gospel, for the gospel to be shared and affirmed with uh, signs and wonders. And and stories, I mean, talk about signs and wonders. How about this? The gospel is being shared because, or at least in response to, um, fruitful prayer that's undergirding it. Now, prayer is going to be very important to us. Uh, it always has been, but even more so as we move into our new home. And we're going to be praying together as a congregation. And just, again, please read the newsletter because we're going to be talking about that there. Uh, we're going to ask everybody in the church to at least once participate in a prayer walk. And that is uh, a way of walking and hearing and sensing uh, in a neighborhood what God's heart for the neighborhood is. Um, you'll be hearing more about that in the newsletters. And you can either do that through your small group or we'll have some other ones. Uh, in addition to prayer walking, we're going to offer a little time of prayer in the park on Sunday night, the 27th of September. Um, on October 4th, uh, we're going to have a pilgrim walk from 5th and Central, uh, or rather from 4MS to 5th and Central. And uh, that morning, I'll preach on corporate prayer, I think. And you will have received a prayer guide, a one-week prayer guide. And what we'd like is for everybody in the church to just take a little time each day, and there'll be a scripture and a, a prayer uh, that each day that we can all pray together related to where we are going as a church. Gary Peacock, uh, the Campus House of Prayer, is writing that prayer guide right now, and uh, a lifetime of experience is going into it. I can't wait to get it into your hands. So uh, lots of prayer opportunities coming up. And this story, it gives us just some great things to, to pray for. Uh, let's ask God to show us who he wants us to minister to and how. Uh, there are times when God just leads Philip so profoundly. Uh, may he lead us that way as well. Um, let's ask him to show us how and when to cross cultural and ethnic lines to build new relationships with the gospel. Uh, you know, we're going to be almost next door to our dear friends at Overcoming Believers. Uh, I've yearned to see us have a deeper partnership with that beloved church. Um, may the Spirit show us what that might look like. Let's ask God for baptisms. You know, I a lot of times new churches grow. Um, I don't want to grow by taking a few people from uh, other churches in the neighborhood because uh, they think Matt's a hotter worship leader. That's not kingdom growth. Um, we want to find dear people, maybe people like the eunuch who've been turned away from institutional religion who uh, really want to know God. Uh, that's really who we're going for. So let's going to be praying that God would open those doors and show us the way uh, to reach our neighbors. Well, and when they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord carried Philip away, and the eunuch saw him no more. And went on his way rejoicing. But Philip found himself at Azotos, and as he passed through, he preached the gospel to all the towns until he came to Caesarea. <laughs> so if you want, pull out a map on your phone or in the back of your Bible, and, and we're going all over here. We start off 20 miles north, then 40 miles south, and then heading back north up the coast of the Mediterranean where uh, the next time we see Philip about 20 years later in Acts, he's in Caesarea. And so apparently he spends the rest of his life 
planting churches in that corridor along the Mediterranean. Now, I, there's so many things just struck me this week as I was looking at this passage. Um, perhaps the, the biggest was just how God guides Philip to change or, you know, to what entrepreneurs call to pivot. Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, rise and go. And the spirit said to Philip, go over and join this chariot. When they came up out of the water, the spirit carried him away. <laughs> so when I when I was thinking about this on Monday, when I was writing uh, uh, the weekly devotional on this passage, and by the way, on Mondays, I write a brief devotional to kind of get us going in the text. It's very different than whatever the sermon turns out to be. If you'd like to receive it, just email me and I'll put you on the list. Um, Doug at allsoulsknoxville.com. Um, but as, as I, I called the Monday's devotion, Holy Pivots, um, because in the space of 15 verses and I think a day, he's made three remarkable shifts that result in the gospel going all over the place. Um, here's a little bit of what I wrote. I won't normally do this, but um, in the devotional from Monday. Entrepreneur Eric Reese introduced the idea of pivoting into the business world with his book, The Lean Startup, How Today's Entrepreneurs Use Continuous Innovation to Create Radically Successful Businesses. He found that many young organizations fail because they don't pivot fast enough. Reese defines a pivot as, quote, a change in strategy without a change in vision, unquote. And we see three pivots in 15 verses in one day in the story of the Ethiopian eunuch. It goes north to the Samaritans, that's pivot one. South to nowhere to reach the first African believer, that's pivot two. And then back up to the coast to start churches there, and that's pivot three. Reese told the Fast Company, the decision to pivot is so difficult that many companies fail to make it. The same is true, I think, for for me, for you, for Christians, and and for churches. Change is hard. Um, it's hard, especially when the old ways kind of work and kind of comfortable. But sometimes God sends an angel and says, pivot. And when that happens, will you go? Will I? Will we? Let's pray. Oh, Spirit of the living God, may you be just as active in our little church as you were in the churches in Acts. You're the same yesterday, today, and forever. And we, as we go into our new neighborhood, we want to have that sense of uh, responding to your initiative. We're going to work hard at planning and preparing and thinking, but we also want to have that sense that we are thinking your thoughts after you. So, Holy Spirit, even now, would you give us a spirit of prayer as we, uh, in late September and October, really start to pray more together as a church corporately? Lord, will you reveal your will to us as we pray? Would you show us who around us, who in our neighborhood, who in the Knox High retirement home, who in the shelters, who sleeping in the graveyard, who are you preparing to hear the gospel? Would you show us? And Lord, would you show us how to cross over uh, those lines and get in the chariot and talk about you? 
Lord, would you show us how to cross over racial lines? Uh, we have such a beautiful relationship with OBC. I think we're less than two miles away from them now. Um, Lord, is there any way that we could ride the chariot a little bit together, do some things together? Would you put that burden on some folks' hearts? We love you, Father. Thank you for this journey that we're on together. In your name. Amen.